0: Before we get started with this episode, I want to tell you about something new from one of the oldest sponsors of our show, Studio. They make headphones, some of which I'm wearing right now, and earphones, and those include the brand new Neo earphones with dynamic bass, two air vents to relieve ear pressure, detachable wingtips to fit any kind of ear, which is a problem for me with the points and everything and 20 hours of play with the charging case. They also have a dual microphone technology that lets you sound clear on calls and in this day and age, very important, in every Zoom meeting. The best part is they're only $89 and our listeners get 15% off with the promo code Haunted15. You also get a free studio tote bag designed by Icelandic artist Andrea Mach. Don't miss out on this great product and a great deal. Just go to studio S-U-D-I-O, and be sure to use the promo code Haunted15 at checkout. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the new episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to the latest episode in our season on Haunted Hollywood, which is, as always, hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. It may seem like we've been wandering around the mean streets and dark back alleys of Hollywood for a long time now, but we still have some places to visit before the season comes to an end. There are stories to hear, hearts to break, murders to solve, and dreams to get stomped on, dented, and broken before we're through. If you've missed out on any of the shows this season, or if this is your first time tuning in, you'll want to go back to episode 70 of the podcast, which will get you caught up on all the murder and mayhem that's already happened in Hollywood already. Just keep in mind, the episodes in the season are definitely not suitable for all listeners. So if you continue on from here, you can't say we didn't warn you. Well, if you're still here and didn't churn off the show in terror, let me tell you that the story that follows is considered to be one of Hollywood's original showbiz crimes, and it's one that's never been solved. It's filled with shady characters, starlets, child stars, and a movie director with secrets to hide. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a strong one, and get ready to meet the latest dead guy in Holland Hollywood. On February 1st, 1922, William Desmond Taylor was one of the most famous movie directors in early Hollywood, and he was murdered in his bungalow in the Westlake District of Los Angeles. At first, it was assumed he died of natural causes until someone discovered he'd been shot in the back by a .38 caliber revolver. Taylor's murder became one of the most sensational cases in Hollywood's history of crime, and one that's never been solved. The coroner's jury at a crowded inquest had no choice but to return an open verdict. They simply had no clue about who'd done it. Taylor was dead. There were a lot of suspects, but the cops and the prosecutors were as in the dark about what had happened as the readers of the daily newspapers. But mystery is a prime ingredient for all the juiciest rumors in Hollywood. There was an entire cast of killers blamed for his death. And depending on what story you heard in the studio commissary, the murderer might have been an actress who had killed him in a jealous rage, the mother of a child star who was angry that Taylor had deflowered her daughter, the husband of a woman Taylor had elevated to stardom on the proverbial casting couch, or even a butler with whom the director was supposedly having a homosexual affair. Well, Taylor himself was an enigma, as we'll soon see, which made the gossip spread even further. As the police began investigating his death, they began discovering the director's closely kept secrets, which would link him to two of Hollywood's best known sweetheart screen stars of the era. But who killed him? Was it a man or a woman, a jealous rival or a spurned lover? Was it a planned murder or a robbery gone wrong? Well, it's been a century since Taylor's death and the questions remain unanswered, mostly thanks to executives at Paramount Studios, where Taylor and at least one of the suspects worked and their tampering with the crime scene evidence. Studio head Adolph Zucker had his hand in the entire police investigation, and rumor has it that he made sure that a lot of things slipped through the cracks, so to speak. Paramount could hardly be blamed for attempting some damage control. The studios had a lot riding on their famous directors and actors, and there had already been a number of scandals that had rocked Hollywood before Taylor's death that had threatened to upset audiences across the country, especially in the more conservative Midwest and South. To counter the sordid reputation that had befallen the industry, Hollywood, led by Zucker, had hired US Postmaster General Will Hayes to introduce the production code, which would censor Hollywood products and publicly keep the morality of the industry in check. Now, with the Taylor case getting mixed up in sex, drugs, and famous actresses, the country was stunned, horrified, and of course, fascinated by every lured thing the police and reporters uncovered. Paramount was determined to keep a lid on the Taylor murder, even if it meant it would never be solved. But who, for our listeners, let's be honest, was William Desmond Taylor. Actually, that's for Cody. Taylor was born William Cunningham Dean Tanner on April 26, 1872, just south of Dublin in Ireland. He was the second of four children born to a british army officer and his irish society wife his father ran the household like a military barracks and the father and son quarreled often when william was 15 years old he left home and went to england by 1890 using the stage name cunningham dean he began performing on the stage when his father learned of the dishonor of having an actor in the family he sent his son to america and enrolled him at runnymede a school in Kansas that turned disreputable and wealthy young men into respectable farmers. William was soon on his own in America, stuck in a university for farmers that went bankrupt 18 months after his arrival. Now free to do as he pleased, he decided not to go home. He was gonna stay in America. William went to New York and began earning a living, doing manual labor, selling magazines, gambling, and finally opening a successful little restaurant but he'd never gotten the acting bug out of his system in 1895 he returned to the stage after a few small parts on broadway he began touring with actress fanny davenport until her death in 1898 which of course ended that job by that time william had met effie hamilton a pretty young chorus girl from a wealthy family they were married in december 1901 and the following year their daughter ethel daisy was born Effie never returned to the stage and William decided to take up a new line of work to support his family. With a $25,000 loan that he acquired from his in-laws, he bought two Eastside Manhattan antique stores and became a great success. He and his wife and daughter moved into a fashionable home in suburban Larchmont, dined in the finest restaurants and shopped in all the best stores. In 1908 though, everything fell apart. There was gossip that several vintage items sold in his shops were fakes and customers began demanding refunds and a fraud investigation. A planned inheritance from Effie's uncle never materialized after the uncle married, then died, leaving everything to his new spouse. William began drinking heavily and then it was discovered in the summer of that year that he took a vacation trip to the Adirondacks with a woman who wasn't Effie. When his father-in-law called in his loans and his wife's lawyer emptied his bank accounts, William fled New York after emptying the register in one of the antique stores of $600. He never went back. In 1912, Effie's divorce was final. She later remarried and she never saw her ex-husband again. But William only went as far as New Jersey at first. He gave himself a new name though, William Desmond Taylor and joined a mediocre acting troupe after the group disbanded. Taylor went West doing factory work in Chicago and then gold mining in Colorado and the Yukon. He drank hard, went through a string of women and seemed destined for a blue collar, but hey, still colorful existence. But he couldn't still shake off the lure of the theater In San Francisco. He managed to get a leading role in a show and was covered by filmmaker Thomas Entz. He talked Taylor into coming to Hollywood and appearing in silent pictures. Taylor worked for Ints for a time. And then in 1914 started appearing in movies for Vitagraph. As a side note, when a movie he made was shown in New York, Taylor's daughter, Ethel Daisy, happened to see it and found her long lost father. Well, with film roles few and far between Taylor began to realize he was never going to be a star. He was in his mid 40s and really nothing special on the screen. He decided he would try working behind the camera as a director instead. He was working for the Balboa Amusement Producing Company in Long Beach when he met and fell in love with leading lady Neva Gerber. Unfortunately, Neva was 20 years old, married and had a child and a much older husband who refused to divorce her but she got involved with Taylor anyway, but the romance soon soured. Neva learned that Taylor was subject to terrible bouts of depression. Sometimes after completing a new picture, he left on trips to Northern California and always remained vague about where he was going and what he was doing there. Later on, when Neva was finally single again, she decided the troubled director was not exactly what you would call marriage material. However, the two did remain friends. Taylor's career continued to advance, and in the middle 19-teens, he switched studios again. Taylor was brought to Palace Pictures by Julia Crawford Ivers, a screenwriter, producer, and director. When Palace was brought out by Paramount, Julia and Taylor often worked together and maintained a close friendship, even though Julia wanted to be something more. For whatever reason, though, romance never blossomed between them. At Paramount, Taylor became very successful, directing a steady stream of major pictures. But then in 1917, he asked for time off from the studio to join the Canadian Army and serve in World War I. By August 1918, he was based in Nova Scotia for military training, and then shipped out to England. Although the war was over by the time he arrived, the filmmaker asked to be stationed in France until his discharge. By the spring of 1919, he had risen to the rank of major. Well, Taylor returned to Hollywood later that same year and got right back to work for Paramount. One of the first major films he made was Anne of Green Gables, starring child actress, Mary Miles Minter. He was named to the position of president for the Motion Picture Directors Association and settled into an affluent Hollywood life. He moved from the Los Angeles Athletic Club to one of eight bungalows that made up Alvarado Court, located in a pleasant section of LA and favored by movie industry insiders. Among those living in Alvarado Court was comedy actor Douglas MacLean and his wife, who were members of Taylor's elite social circle. Well, Taylor hired staff to run his household, including Edward F. Sands, as a combination secretary, valet, and cook, and Earl Tiffany, who often worked as his driver. During the spring of 1921, Taylor had surgery and went abroad in June to recover. While he was away, he loaned out his bungalow to playwright Edward Nogblock in exchange for the writer's London apartment. To make sure that his guest was comfortable, Taylor foolishly left a signed blank check for Edward Sands to use in case of an emergency. While his employer was away, Sands not only cashed the check in the amount of $5,000, but he also forged a number of smaller checks from Taylor's accounts. A week before Taylor returned, Sands vanished. When he arrived back at home, Taylor discovered that in addition to the missing funds, Sands had also stolen much of his wardrobe, some jewelry, many personal items and an automobile, which was later found wrecked. Taylor filed a report with the police, and then a few months later, he received a letter from Sands, half heartedly apologizing for what he'd done. The note also contained two pawn tickets for diamond cufflinks that had been given to the director as a gift. Sands job at Taylor's home was taken over by a man named Henry Peavy. The Diamond Cufflinks had been a gift from 27-year-old actor Mabel Norman, who was billed in the 1920s as the queen of comedy. She had built her career at Keystone Studios, which was run by her mentor and close friend Max Sennett. In 1918, she'd signed with producer Samuel Goldwyn to make features, and during this time, the popular actress developed a serious cocaine habit. Later, she became close friends with Taylor, who was sympathetic to her drug problem. He tried to get her off the drugs and keep her away from the dealers who were feeding her dangerous and, if the public found out, scandalous habit. Well, another woman in Taylor's complicated life was Mary Miles Minter, who by 1922 was 19 years old. Taylor had directed Mary in three features, and the young girl had fallen deeply in love with him. Under the watchful eye of her controlling stage mother Charlotte Selby, Mary looked on Taylor as both a father figure and a dashing hero. She fantasized about marrying and continually pursued him, despite his efforts to dissuade her. On Wednesday, February 1st, 1922, Taylor spent the evening at his bungalow, working on his income taxes from the previous year at his desk in the living room. Henry Peavy, Taylor's cook and valet, later told the police that he summoned Taylor to dinner at around 6.30 p.m. The director was eating when he received a telephone call. He was still engaged in this conversation, and no one knows who the call was from, by the way, when Mabel Norman stopped by Taylor's bungalow to pick up two books that he'd recently purchased for her. Peavy let Mabel into the house as Taylor hung up the telephone, and then Henry proceeded to mix them a couple of cocktails. At 7.30, Peavy left for the evening. On his way out, he stopped to speak to Mabel's driver. When he'd left the house, Taylor and Mabel were sitting on the sofa, sipping their cocktails. According to Mabel, she left the bungalow at a little before eight o'clock. Taylor walked the actress to her car, leaving the front door standing open behind him. She waved as her driver pulled away from the curb and Taylor returned to the house. At midnight, Actress Edna Pervance, who also lived at Alvarado Court, returned home and noticed that all the lights were still on at Taylor's house, but she thought it was too late to stop by for a visit. The following morning, Henry Peavy reported to work at 7 a.m. He let himself into the house with his own key. He walked into the living room and found the director's body lying face up on the living room floor. He looked as though he'd fallen and an overturned chair was lying across his legs. Peavy panicked and began calling for help. As news spread around Alvarado Court, several of the residents hurried over and entered Taylor's home, contaminating the crime scene. When Taylor's new driver, Howard Fellows, arrived at the house, he telephoned the news to his brother, Harry, an assistant director who worked with Taylor at Paramount. Harry contacted Charles Eaton, Paramount's general manager, and told him of Taylor's death. Eaton ordered Harry, along with Julia Crawford Ivers and her son, James, who worked as Taylor's cinematographer, to go directly to Taylor's home. Their instructions were to remove any incriminating evidence that could damage the filmmaker's reputation, which would look bad for the studio. Now, remember, at this point, no one had called the police. Julia, James and Harry Fellows hurried to the bungalow and gathered up anything they could find that might shed a bad light on Taylor. They took letters to Taylor from Mabel Norman, Mary Miles Minter and Neva Gerber, as well as notes from Ethel Daisy to her father. They also removed all bootleg liquor from the house. By then the police had been called and they arrived just minutes after the trio had loaded the letters and booze into the trunk of Harry's car. As detectives were starting to take statements from Taylor's staff and from the neighbors, Paramount general manager, Charles Eaton arrived. The cops knew who he was and didn't stop him from going into the house for a look around. They also didn't question him when he came back out and didn't check to see if he'd moved anything or had taken anything from the crime scene. A short time later, the deputy coroner's assistant arrived and it was only then that it was discovered that Taylor had been shot in the back. This was a surprise to everyone at the scene, leading to a call to the LAPD's homicide squad. Well, why was everyone so surprised? Well, the first officers at the scene believed that Taylor had died of a stomach hemorrhage. They came to this conclusion because a doctor had earlier been in the neighborhood making a house call and came by to see what all the excitement was about. Without even turning over the body, the doctor offered his snap diagnosis. The cops made a note of it but failed to obtain the doctor's name. The physician left the scene and was never heard from again. He'd missed a bullet hole, which makes me glad he wasn't my doctor. I'm sure a lot of the cops who were there that day felt the same way. A horde of reporters descended on Alvarado court and a flurry of wild accusations, rumors, crazy theories, and outright lies began to be published all over the country. Some newspapers insisted that the killer had to be the missing Edward Sands, a theory that was eventually dismissed. For a time, journalists also suggested that Henry Peavy was the culprit. Since he was African-American and a homosexual, he was a natural culprit. On the day after the murder, Taylor had been scheduled to appear in court on Peavy's behalf in a sexual misconduct allegation. Because of this, it was hinted by the media that Taylor might have also been gay, and this might have had something to do with the murder. Well, Peavy was eventually cleared by the police, but rumors of Taylor being a homosexual, or at least bisexual, have never gone away. Even after Peavy was cleared by the police, a reporter named Floribel Muir remained convinced he was the killer. She believed she could trick Peavy into a confession and get a great scoop for herself. She enlisted two men, Frank Carson and Al Weinshank, in her plan. Muir went to Peavy and offered him $10 to guide her to the location of Taylor's grave at Hollywood Memorial Park. Peavy agreed and he rode along with Muir and Frank Carson to the cemetery. They found Taylor's gravesite and got out of the car. As they did, Weinshank, who was covered with a white sheet, came running toward them and shouted, I am the ghost of William Desmond Taylor. You murdered me. Confess, Peavy. Pavy burst out laughing, then realizing what the trio had tried to do with him, he loudly and furiously denounced them all. On a side note, Al Weinshank later became one of the gangsters killed during the infamous 1929 St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago. Well, with stories, rumors, and innuendos running rampant, it was hard to tell where the truth ended and the fiction began. Taylor's closest neighbors the McLean's told the police their maid had heard someone in the alley between their house and Taylor's after 7 p.m. on the night of the murder. Later, when Mrs. McLean heard a noise that sounded like a car backfiring, she looked outside and saw a person leaving Taylor's bungalow and walking calmly away. She described this person as a, quote, roughly dressed man wearing a cap and a scarf. However, it was later learned that a friend of Taylor's had borrowed his car for the evening and had returned it to his house that same night. After parking it in the garage, he went to the door, but when he got no reply, he left. The police believed he was the figure seen by Mrs. McLean that night. More baffling pieces were added to the puzzle and the investigation was certainly not helped by LA District Attorney Thomas Woolwine, who had close ties to all the major players in the movie industry. One newspaper accused the district attorney of, quote, erecting a barricade of silence between the searchers for truth and the truth itself. The investigation was being badly handled, even hamstrung in an effort to protect Taylor and the studio. But some of the witnesses hindered things even further by withholding information in an effort to protect their own reputations. When Mabel Norman was questioned by the police, she did her best to downplay any romantic relationship she'd had with Taylor. She was also deliberately vague on other issues involving herself and the director, especially when it came to her drug problem and Taylor's efforts to help her break the habit. Well, the newspapers continued to hamper the investigation too. In a rush for lurid headlines, journalists were quick to report the discovery of Mary Miles Winter's monogrammed pink lingerie at Taylor's house. The young actress denied she left any underwear there, and the lingerie well, it turned out to be a monogrammed handkerchief that she'd once loaned him. However, the story suggested to the public that the supposedly innocent Mary and the much older Taylor were having a clandestine romance. This theory was given further credence by a note that was discovered tucked inside of a book of erotic poetry that was on the shelf in Taylor's well-stocked library on the stationary were the initials, MMM, and the letter read, dearest, I love you, I love you, I love you, followed by a whole bunch of X's, of course, mean kisses, yours always, Mary. When Mary was questioned about this, she admitted, quote, I did love William Desmond Taylor. I loved him deeply and tenderly with all of the admiration that a young girl gives to a man with the poise and position of Mr. Taylor. Well, those who knew Taylor were well aware he tried to discourage Mary from the crush she had on him, and no proof was ever discovered that even hinted of a sexual relationship between them. But that didn't stop people from talking about it, nor did it stop Mary from dreaming about it. In fact, at Taylor's packed funeral, Mary approached the director's casket and kissed his corpse full on the lips. She then caused a stir in the room as she loudly announced that the corpse had spoken to her. He whispered something to me, she said, It sounded like, I shall love you always, Mary. (laughs) This bit of theatrics along with the scandal itself helped to destroy her film career. The coroner's inquest was held on February 4th, 1922, and lasted less than an hour. Not all the witnesses on hand were called to testify. The coroner's jury quickly concluded that the director's death had been caused by a gunshot wound by quote, some person or persons unknown to this jury. To many observers, the murder investigation appeared to be a series of contrivances used to hush up potential scandals. A Chicago Tribune article stated, quote, 20 people are said to be under suspicion. 20,000 theories of the crime are being aired, but there's not been one arrest and not one clue. It's believed that movie interests would spend a million not to catch the murderer, to prevent the real truth from coming out. Well, to battle such sentiment, the film studios established a special committee allegedly to help the press deal with the case, but it really existed to try and get everyone to forget about the case as quickly as possible. A few reporters who didn't bow to pressure from the special committee claimed to be intimidated by the LAPD. Well, the case was never officially resolved, and as the years passed, bits of truth continued to emerge, almost lost amidst the stories, rumors, and Hollywood legends. Speculation included the idea that Taylor was murdered by a hired killer who was working for one of the drug dealers servicing Mabel Norman. Friends of Taylor knew that he had appealed to the U.S. attorney a short time before his death to try and combat a narcotics ring that was selling cocaine to Mabel. A dozen known addicts and dealers were questioned and detectives even traveled to Folsom prison to question two convicts that the warden implicated in Taylor's murder. One of them said that the other had killed the director at the urging of a well-known actress who resented Taylor for interfering with her dope supply. After an exhaustive investigation, detectives became convinced the convicts were lying in hopes of getting transferred to a minimum security facility. But it is true that the most popular murder theories have involved Mabel Norman and Mary Miles mentor, one or the other of whom are said to have murdered Taylor during a lover's spat. Another bit of guesswork suggests the killer was Mary's manipulative mother, who was also a jealous rival for the director's love. Well, Maber's career was destroyed by the Taylor scandal, as well as by another incident that occurred shortly afterward involving her chauffeur and the murder of a Hollywood playboy. She made a few additional films, but by then her drug abuse had ruined her health. She died in 1930 from tuberculosis and pneumonia. Mary Miles Mentor retired permanently from the screen in 1924. She spent the next few decades feuding with her overbearing mother, who finally died, leaving Mary in peace in 1957. Mary died a recluse in 1984. Weird stories continue to circulate about the case for years. District Attorney Woolwine, the man who probably knew more about the case than anyone else, resigned due to poor health and died soon after. In 1926, his successor, Asa Keyes reopened the Taylor case and announced that an arrest was imminent, but the arrest never happened. Why? Keyes claimed that vital evidence kept in a locked cabinet in his office mysteriously vanished. The case went cold once again. Keyes later died after going to prison for accepting a bribe and a million dollar oil scandal. In 1929, the mystery was resurrected again when F.W. Richardson, a former California governor, stated that back in 1926, he'd received positive information that a certain top screen actress had killed Taylor, but he was unable to do anything about it because of the corrupt conditions that existed in the LAPD at the time. Richardson implied that the film industry had bribed officials to bury the investigation, but Richard's startling announcement led to more dead ends and nothing ever came of it. In 1943, a man arrested on federal narcotics charges in Indiana offered to name William Desmond Taylor's killer in return for immunity. The government refused to make the deal, and the man remained silent and died of pneumonia in the prison hospital. Well, at that point, any real investigation of the case came to an end. From time to time, writers, reporters, and retired cops will come forward and claim that the killer was indeed known to the authorities at the time, but no one could do anything about it. Some have mysteriously spoken of an actress or an actor who was involved, but no definitive proof has ever been offered. The spectacular William Desmond Taylor case has become a classic Hollywood murder mystery over the years. But this is one that's never going to be solved in the last pages of a book or in the final reel of anything on the silver screen.
2: Probably couldn't even read the numbers on the speedometer yeah, to tell me how right, fast right, exactly. he was going. Uh, all right. You ready? Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, thanks for tuning in to the American Hauntings podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, the dark side of American history, and the real life scary stories that sometimes happen <laughs> to me. We are now in season five of the podcast, Haunted Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey. Hey. So we,
0: yeah, we just, uh, d- we, we're not going to give you any details on so, no. what We've just been sharing, but Cody just had a near-death experience uh, recently, so we were just covering that before we started recording. I so. appreciate
2: I've only told a couple people to, and I really
0: appreciate that you
2: understood the gravity of the oh, situation. Yeah, Other yeah. people are like dude you're just yeah. like it's just because you do this true crime stuff no, and i'm like no,
0: when you're in someone's car and there's a bag of zip ties yes. you kind of go whoa <laughs> i know. You know who carries around a bag of zip ties right <laughs> apparently hunters or murderers <laughs> right maybe and, both
2: and maybe both right oh geez well okay enough about me what's been going on with you and what uh, do i have going? On? you did a hey, river road tour yeah yesterday. i did last
0: night um it was well we we're recording this on saturday the 14th which is not nearly as ominous as friday the 13th i know we so fucked up we, on yeah, that but anyway we did a river road tour on the on the 13th it was a lot of fun we had a really really good group um we're and those are starting to sell out for the fall already nice you know so um people are getting excited i mean it's been a busy it's been a busy summer it's turned into one so it's been nice a lot of events and um one thing i wanted to do is we haven't we had a our, our our conference podcast came out last week um, and yes. I hadn't had a chance to on you know a live show thank everybody who attended. Uh, it was a really good time. Uh, it really came together well. Uh, we were really pleased with it. Yeah. Um, we've been making a lot of plans for next year, so we'll uh, you know we'll start putting that together. Uh, Well, we've already started putting it together because I mean it's 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 over. You got to start, and we're a month later, so we're really a little behind, really. But you guys had the coolest prizes this year. They get better uh, and better for the raffle. We just kept finding. It's just I don't know. It just all worked out. And I want to say, well, it's because we had an extra year to do it. But honestly, I didn't (laughs) do anything last year. (laughs) Once we realized we weren't having it, I'm like. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, now we we always stay on the hunt for things, and and that's just a constant, ongoing thing. So, yeah, it was fun. It was was awesome. I met so many people, so many listeners of the podcast.
2: I took. So many pictures I probably don't even remember. And then <laughs> um, I got to I got so many stories because like, oh, I, I I do the ghost stories. More stuff than ever. More than e- more than ever. For and for also sure. I didn't just get ghost stories. I got like skinwalkers, yeah. aliens, All like a bunch of, of weird shit. Yeah and, yeah. yeah, and it was really it was a lot of fun. So and, and we'll
0: be you'll hear those. I mean, we yeah. had some already this past week. We've got more coming, and then we'll probably put a lot of them on yeah. as bonus episodes for Patreon. I'm thinking so. so. Yeah, because I got it. that will be fun. Yeah, there will be a ton of I couldn't believe how many you got this year. I had like got an hour and twenty minutes. Just on Saturday worth of five, six yeah. minute stories. Yeah. And you were doing it on Friday too. So yeah. I mean yeah, there was a lot. There was every time I'd walk past there'd be somebody else at the table. And yeah. that didn't I mean that's that's new. I mean, we'd, get we hadn't few, done we'd always that, yeah. get a few, but we never had as many as we did this year. Could so be, it was cool.
2: nice because people were finally telling their friends and right, like, oh, yeah, right, you got a crazy oh, story. Yeah. Go tell yeah, this go kid. Go tell Cody. Yeah, and then so. and I was doing that on Friday because Lisa's like, I need you to do crowd control. And right. I'm walking around. And I was like, yeah, these guys, are, they're really rambunctious no, right, right now. Right, they're all no. playing like Candy Crush on their phones. And I'm like, come tell me a weird Just story. Sitting around
0: waiting for us to open yeah. the doors. But people, yeah. they
2: loved it. I, got, yeah, I remember funny. I talked to a group of five sisters that all grew up in the same haunted house. I got great stories from all of them. it's cool. Uh, just met a lot of people, and I definitely had the conference hangover after that, because you get to I see know. all your friends and yeah. stuff. And yeah. I mean, Who we
0: hadn't seen in two years, yeah, and then, right? yeah, it's over.
2: Troy, so. I mean, we karaoke okay? <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> yeah, how, that was, that's how close that, everybody well, okay. was.
0: Sorry. We didn't karaoke. <laughs> no, no, no sorry, Cody yeah. did. I, I did, did not. I did but We did have a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, that was that was a good time. Uh, so and really then was. how did the uh how'd the breakfast go? Good, good. Um we had a I mean everybody showed up and you know everybody said how great it was to have something to do the morning after the conference, mm-hmm. like one last thing. And this was, yeah, with it was fun. Edgar Poe, Yeah, right? we did the Poe one for uh for breakfast uh on Sunday, and we'll probably keep doing that. Um it just it's a fun little addition. Um, and, you know, I, I really enjoy doing it. So, you know, it, awesome. and it also keeps me from being completely hungover on <laughs> sure. Sunday morning. See, so there's a bonus to that, too. Smart. So, yeah, yeah. So well,
2: aside from the conference, yeah, what, what yeah. else you got?
0: Well, um, my last book came out right before the conference, that Hell Hath No Fury book, mm-hmm. uh, which turned out to be uh, a really good one. It's a good, really good seller. Uh, people have really liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, my plan is to make it part of an ongoing series, and hopefully the, we've got a surprise coming with that one later on I cannot talk about right now. I'm excited for that. Uh, though, so yes. we will see what happens with that. Um, my fingers are crossed, so we'll see.
2: But... So you just need women to keep going
0: crazy Well, and yeah, which people, is... Right? Works great, because there's so much material there. Right. There's huh? a lot there to work is. with. is, <laughs> yeah. So... But yeah, we've been doing, you know, I mean, it's starting to get... It's not fall, but it's starting to feel like fall people go back to school and stuff so we end up with you know all of our ghost tours on sale the river road tours on sale all the dinner things are coming up so um, if you want to check any of them out go to dinnerandspirits.com or you can just go to americanhauntings.net and see everything there uh, we'll start announcing 2022 things soon yeah. um the next conference speakers dead of winter all that stuff i mean this year is flying by now so it is. Uh, we'll have a lot of that stuff going and i will also tell you that on september 10th i am finally releasing the uncensored edition of The Devil Came to St. Louis. I saw your I just post just posted the, uh, the cover of it yesterday. Um, and, you know, people are like, oh, no, I read that book. No, yeah, no, I actually haven't. So <laughs> it's,
2: aside from, yeah, aside from, your, I'm guessing yeah. you're using the real name. Yeah, there'll be all there's, there's the names. There's
0: a lot more info, the things that I, you know, either would reveal too much about the family or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, I'm, I'm able to do all that. Right. So... Awesome. Uh, my 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 agreement has come to an end so now i can post the stuff that i right. been wanting to post which now some of it actually makes more sense uh, when you st- i mean oh, okay. it's it's weird it's just weird because it's more context or? yeah you you do you do there's a lot more context that can be discussed that couldn't be discussed before so um, anyway i'm excited about it because it's been one of those things that's been a you know something i've been working on for you know 15 years and it's uh, exciting to finally get to do something big with it. So, yeah. Anyway, but that's coming out on the 10th, so that'll be coming up. And, uh, you know, we'll have we'll have more stuff to talk about, you know, in the next couple of shows. Totally. Um, well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for that.
2: I had somebody reach out the other day, and they sent me um, altonhauntings.com. And yeah. they said, are you affiliated with any of this? And um, I was like, of course. I mean, yeah. look at that. I was like, look at the look at the little favicon yeah. thing. It's, you know, the yeah. skull
0: you see in all the yeah. American Hauntings, American right. Hauntings, Inc. And it also says podcast at the top. Does it? You can click on it <laughs> and it goes to the podcast
1: page. So,
2: Well, yes. she's not that. Bra- <laughs> anyway, um, no, but I was like, yeah, of course. Like, you know, it's something spooky going on around here. we got tons <laughs> of websites because listen to podcasts. We plug yeah. them all the time. And I talk about how many domains that you own and how. <laughs> God.
0: I don't remember how many. Any. It's a lot.
2: So. It's gotta be a lot. Oh uh, <laughs> no, geez. All right. Well, let's talk about some listener reviews. Sure. Um, I'm only gonna read one today because it's kinda long, but oh, okay. it's got a lot to it and okay. I wanna dive into it, and I'm I'm really oh, actually boy. I'm, okay. I actually am excited about this. Okay. Um the title is I have gone through quite a lot of podcasts to land on this gym, and it's from Chimera 1818. Uh, So bear with me It's long but it's worth it It says First I must definitely comment on the quality of the audio I've listened to the first shows And jumped around to most of the recent shows And the quality is a massive improvement Uh, (laughs) It is obvious not only your equipment has improved But so is your technique As an old studio session drummer in another life I can attest that if you do not know how to use the equipment It doesn't matter how nice it is Thank you very much. That that means like a lot. Uh, second, the production of the show in conjunction with Troy's cadence, inflection, and tone is darn near addictive. I swear Troy could be reading a laxative commercial and I would still listen to the whole thing. Also, I'm really liking the most recent bumper music compared to the initial podcast. That sounds like a shot at Charlie Brockus, um which I, uh, you know what? I, get him. Just drag his ass. Um, but Troy, they like the way you talk. This mm. third,
0: the composition of the if story. If only they knew if, how oh, much work it took to put this together. Sometimes, Troy has yeah. like
2: a really long pause in between stuff. I like I cut out his like ums and ers or like yeah. any time sometimes I've I've actually made you say <laughs> words in the podcast that you didn't really oh, say by combining yeah. two yeah. like yeah. Yes,
0: syllables. Yeah. If anybody ever knew, I mean how you know when I put those monologues together and it's then amazing. Cody's like, God damn, because I'll like Keep messing something up, and then I get to giggling, yes. and I can't stop. And I'm like, I can't figure out why I can't say things. And I don't know if you guys I, have no idea. I
2: don't know if I like um, it better when you get giggly or when you get, oh, I get mad.
0: mad. I get mad at myself for messing something <laughs> Just up over and over. The again. curse
2: word combinations. Oh, God. Um, okay. It says third, the composition of the stories are on a whole another level. I rarely will read the title and think. This story may be a bit slow, but within the first few sentences, I've been hooked and totally engrossed on the tale that is is being spun. I've quickly learned to listen to the next episode, uh, the next podcast, no matter the title. Um, That's good, too, because sometimes I've wondered about, like, are people going to know the babes of Inglewood or, you know, whatever we're talking about? Um, Fourth... The discussion at the very end is very unique and refreshing. It is like I'm sitting down with the storyteller for a drink, uh, because that's what we do, um, to discuss certain intricacies that pique my interest. Cody has really improved in this role over the podcast. This part, in my opinion, can be most difficult, as Cody has to come poignant with questions um, to add texture and depth, as well as pull the listener out of the darkness of the story that Troy does so well weaving. (laughs) My only critique... Uh, parentheses, please don't yell at me, Cody. Um, is sometimes the recaps can be a little redundant, in my opinion, as yeah. Troy has done such an amazing job burning the well, story you in say my mind. That, so, well, yeah. so, so, but with being said, uh, but with that being said, I can get lost and the recaps are sometimes appreciated and needed. So maybe Cody's correct in doing this. Anyway, long review, and I think you guys deserve it with the amount of love and attention uh, you give to your podcast. Thank you for your efforts. Um, so, thank you for that review. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is that I wanted to explain a little bit about my process and how I've thought about maybe refining. It for the future, and I feel like Troy. The best time for us to discuss business things with the podcast is live <laughs> yeah, on the right. podcast.
0: Um, so, <laughs> right. but, so what I do though, just just
2: so people know, is um, Troy, <clears throat> excuse me, Troy will send me an outline of the episode, basically his whole monologue, except for some of the things that he might change on the fly. Yeah. or... Th- Add in. Or add in, yeah. Um, Or ad lib or, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) And so I go through that and I have my own doc and I pretty much sum it all up in my own document. Um, And the thing is, I never know what's going to be important later on and what's not. So I try to like do like a little book report and sum everything up. <laughs> yeah. And then as I'm going, I'll add in like questions in, in little sub bullet points or jokes or whatever. And then I go give it a second pass after I'm done. And I say, OK, maybe I can cut this out, cut that out. Um, I've thought more about this or now this makes sense. So this question doesn't add up, that sort of thing. Um, but I've, I've thought about it before. And I think it's because the listeners, they hear your monologue and then immediately hear the conversation. Mm -hmm. We we don't do it that way. We don't do it that way. So it's not as fresh in my mind. But I have thought, I have wondered about maybe I should just do a quick summary of like a, you know, one-minute summary, and then just dive into questions. So if you guys have thoughts on, like, is it helpful when I kind of do a, a recap play-by-play, play, or would you just rather us get into discussions and questions and thoughts in future episodes? I don't know. I'm always kind of trying to refine yeah, it a little sure. bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, American Podcast think. at gmail.com. Yeah. Hit me up or hit me up on Twitter or Instagram yeah. or something, because uh, that review is it, it's it's something I definitely think about. I've wondered, is yeah. it is it redundant? Is it helpful? It's probably a little bit of both. Um, depending on who you are, my memory is not good enough to remember. Like, so I wouldn't know. Cause you hear Troy talk about so many people, so many dates, especially I think about like the limp episodes. Yeah. Oh, I'd yeah. have been so lost. Yeah. Like, well,
0: and you know, the other thing is, is that I did this a week ago and then we get here and I, I mean, I end up pulling it up in front of me so I can look at my oh, script yeah. because That's true. I don't, you know, remember every single thing that I put in. A it seems monologue. like you do though. I mean, I, I probably do, but i like to have stuff in front of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even yeah. if I remember it, I still like to have it in front of me. You know, that's, that's, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I, we can just see what people think. Yeah, see,
2: see what people yeah. think. I'm curious, because that is very fair feedback, and I, I am curious. Yeah. And, and I've definitely, I've learned a lot to go back a second time and kind of cull my, my stuff down, especially because there have been episodes where Troy and I are talking, and he'll he'll interrupt me and go, dude, okay, look, we can't. <laughs> we, we just can't. covered that. He's like, yeah. or he'll be like we, we cannot, don't have enough time. Yeah, we
0: cannot cover every single point yeah. of this Story. And so I've, yeah. I've gotten better about cutting yeah. stuff out. And also
2: in real time, a lot of times Troy will jump ahead and start talking about little bullet points I have and I'll just, I'll X them out or I'll, <laughs> I'll cross them out or erase them or whatever. So I kind of, it's, it's a lot of stuff on the fly, <laughs> but, um, I hope you all are enjoying it and thank you for the review. And, uh, I hope you don't feel like I'm yelling at you. Uh, I just, I just really appreciate everything and all the stuff you said about the audio stuff, like that is really, yeah. really helpful. Yeah. So Okay, 20 minutes later, um, you ready to dive <laughs> yeah, in <sure. laughs> to Hollywood's original unsolved mystery? So, February 1st, 1922, William Desmond Taylor, any relation? Nope. Okay, I had it's to. It's not his real name. I've been waiting, anyway, so, waiting so, so. for so long, right. <laughs> <laughs> Famous movie directors murdered in L.A. First assumed he died of natural causes, uh, but apparently he'd been shot in the back by a 38. Um, it's never solved. There's a lot of suspects. Studio execs at Paramount Studios didn't help... Uh, and it didn't help and anything with their again, damage control. I mean, control. this is like time, every time, again. time we've
0: talked about this. Yes. It's always.
2: Um, I'm, and Things were
0: different back then.
2: You're going to talk about it, but the fact that, like you said, like, I'm glad that guy wasn't my doctor, like yeah. the kind of guy that came in. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen anybody get shot with a 38, but I... Okay, well, you'd, we'll like we'll, you'd, notice, you'd like to think you'd
0: know. You'd like to think you'd Especially you if notice.
2: you're a doctor, but I whatever. guess you're not supposed to move the body, yeah, maybe, but yeah. well, I We shouldn't have
0: been in there anyway. Oh, <laughs> so the so difference it makes, no so. one should have been in yeah. there.
2: Uh, okay, who was William Desmond Taylor? So, b- born William Cunningham Dean Tanner on April 26, 1872, just south of Dublin. Said so his father ran a home like a military barracks, uh, left home early, began performing on stage. His father was pissed. I was like, no <laughs> son of mine. Yeah. Uh, sent him to a farmer. know university in america yeah, that went that bankrupt weird. i mean yes it is but also, also it's like he's so far away from home and that shuts down i'd just be like give a middle finger to mm-hmm. dad it's like all right i'm just living my life yeah. in america now um he so he moves to new york city but he makes something of himself like this is like the american sure. dream yeah, pretty yeah. much right yeah. um begins touring with actress fanny davenport until her death in 1898 meets effie hamilton uh they marry in december 1901 and they had a daughter the following year takes up a loan and opens up two east manhattan antique stores this sounds fun yeah i think yeah. that would be really cool
0: yeah i mean although you know at that point what what's an antique in 1901 did you wonder about that too i
2: didn't but now i, I am I, curious i'm kind
0: of like they must have been selling like you know like stuff from england from like the 1700s or okay something. i mean because yeah i mean what i mean now you antiques are you know 19th century, stuff early 20th right century, here. right? Yeah. But in 1901, what's an antique? I think you know, there was I,
2: an original wheel made out of <laughs> Right, exactly.
0: Um, <laughs> but know. then when, you know, people start saying, oh, but some of this stuff turned out to be fakes. That's why I think it must be like, it must have been like... Chippendale furniture and fancy, okay. that kind of stuff. And then, you know, some of it turned out to be fake and didn't, you know, have the prominence that it was supposed to have. And that's when he got into trouble. Right, you
2: know? yeah. So, yeah, it missed out on a planned inheritance. He starts getting some fraud things, starts drinking a lot, going on vacation with another woman. Father-in-law calls in the loans, wife lawyers empty the bank accounts. So he just says, fuck it, takes all the money, $600 yeah. out of one of those cash registers yeah. and goes all the
0: way to New Jersey. <laughs> I know, right, I know. Eh, that's all the further he went (laughs) Uh, But at the time, that's where, and, you know, and he joins up with this acting troupe. But the thing was, though, um, this is still, you know, this is around 1910. So it was still a little early, but... New Jersey is where the movie companies started. I mean, the movie business started in New Jersey, and then it it moved to Chicago because they were trying to stay one step ahead of Thomas Edison. Oh, right, right, yes, okay. I was like, this. So, and and Edison's in New Jersey, right? So that's where people are initially doing filming. But I mean, at this point, he wasn't getting involved in the movies, and but you know, he would, you know, he would later on when they were in you know in New York and New Jersey and then Chicago, then finally California. Got it. You ever been to Jersey? Uh, once long time ago. I I keep wanting to go back because, um, I I have friends run the weird New Jersey magazine. Uh, So, I mean, I did weird Illinois and that stuff. And so they're always like, man, come on out. We'll take you all these places. And it's just, I don't know. I, I, haven't been able to get up and go, Oh God, I got to go to, New I gotta Jersey. Go to go you, know, you know, um, I don't know. It would be, it'd be kind of cool to see a yeah. lot of stuff, you know, I used so. to fly
2: in and out of Newark all the time. Oh and then yeah. We, you were
0: living in New York. Right. right. It,
2: well, I used to do that because I could get home. I I'd take like three quicker, buses, you know. but it, but it was like 12 bucks mm-hmm. and like a taxi or anything. I didn't have that kind of money mm-hmm. for a $50, you know, taxi <laughs> ride or whatever. I did go to Hoboken one time with my buddy <laughs> Kwame, which was a whole thing. Um, yes. Yeah, so Jersey at Garden State. Yeah. Anyway, if we have fans from New Jersey, um, yeah, let us know. Uh, so he bops around doing different jobs Then he's discovered in Hollywood. Knew he'd never be a star because he's kind of old at that point and just kind of, he's like, you know what, screw it. I can probably make more money doing like, like work behind the camera. Yeah. I'm guessing. Gets into Palace Pictures, bought out by Paramount. That's how he ends up there. Then this guy just, so did he get drafted? Did he just jump into the War No, he World joined war
0: up, I? well, and you know, and he joined the Canadian Army because mm-hmm. the reason why uh, is the beginning of the war, The United United States was not involved, and they wouldn't get involved until toward the end of the war. Mm -hmm. We we didn't. We sat out most of it, Uh, but a lot of guys who wanted to go and fight the 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 Russian or that Russian, the German threat, joined up with like the English or you know the British and the Canadian armies, and then ended up in the war. But he did it a little too late. I mean, I think he had a plan. Well, I know, but I think he planned to actually join up to really serve, but yeah. by the time he finished his training and everything, by the time he got to England, war was over. But he yeah. did serve out the rest of his time, I mean, you know, and did really well at it. Yeah. So, so, so did you, back then, like, did they just want bodies or did they have to say yeah, like, I oh, think, I'm,
2: I'm Canadian? Or did Well, just I, not- I,
0: I'm not sure about that. I think that you had to, I remember at the beginning of World War II, it was the same thing. Uh, a lot of, uh, especially uh, pilots, Mm -hmm. went over to England so that they could fly. Ah. Um, And, you know, a lot of guys did. And before that, they were, a lot of those guys went to China uh, to fight against the Japanese. The Mm -hmm. Flying Tigers was, they were all Americans. And they joined up and were flying and fighting against the Japanese. Mm. It was something that people wanted to get involved in the war, but we still weren't in it yet. Yeah. You know, and a lot of guys went and joined up with the RAF um, so, they could fly. And they took them because they needed skilled pilots, and yeah. I think this was probably a lot of the same thing. I know a lot of guys did that with World War I, too. Um, I, I've read... I haven't read about it as much, but I've mm-hmm. read about it quite a bit with World War Two. Gotcha. Uh, but I, I'm sure that's what the, was going on here. Sure. So.
2: Well, side note, I just... As far as, like, measuring, like, oh, geez, how can I say this politely? The the biggest balls you can have. There's gladiators back in the day, and then people that have been in like dog fights oh, and, right, planes. Right, and planes, right?
0: In planes made out of um, coolest, wood and canvas. The yeah. cr- like
2: the craziest
0: yeah. shit. Oh, I know. I cannot
2: I know. imagine. Yeah. Oh, boy. Anyway, thank you for your service. Um Okay, so, so this guy's all over the place. Goes back to Hollywood and gets right back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, starts to rise up, gets a fancy lifestyle again. So you really see this guy go through a oh, lot yeah. of ups and downs ups and, and up downs. all over yeah, the place.
0: All over the place. And but- I think that's what is making... Um, you know what makes him an interesting character. Yeah, he's a, he would have been a he. As I said, I noted on there even before he got involved in the movies, he would have had a very colorful life mm. no matter what. Yeah, so all the things he'd already done, and then he gets involved in the movies too.
2: Yeah. Well, it seems like no matter how down he gets, he's able to. Figure it out, yeah. uh, whether no, it's through hard work until, or fall. Until, has until the end. <laughs> until, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until it did not get up from that one. So. <laughs> it didn't get up from that. You're right. Um, so he hires staff for his new house and new lifestyle and things like that. This is spring 1921. He uh, has surgery and swaps apartments with playwright Edward Knobloch. Um, and he left be- behind this guy Edward Sands, who kind of hired to like run the household and right. do different things for him. This guy steals a shit ton of stuff yeah, for like man. money and pieces yeah. out, takes clothes, jewelry, car, crashes it, all <laughs> that. Um, so eventually, sends a letter saying, like, yeah, "My bad, oh. sorry." Yes. Yeah. Um, Sands' job's eventually taken over by Henry Peavy, who we'll get back to later. Mm-hmm. You talk about how his complicated life is filled with complicated women, <laughs> like mm-hmm. Mabel Normand, uh, who's billed as 1920s queen of comedy. I wanna, She's really funny. I want to yeah, see it, something. You could, there
0: are some shorts um, I, I looked, I wanted to see too. I mean, I, I knew who she was and things, but I hadn't really mm-hmm. looked at anything in a long time. So I pulled up some, there's some shorts online that you can find the Keystone stuff that she yeah. did. Okay. And she's just kind of a fun, crazy, you know, Pratt Fall kind of, and she just, she's entertaining. Yeah. Uh, but had a, you know, massive coke habit. Yeah. Which, again, here's the thing, and and I'm not, this is not an endorsement of it. I'm just saying that. I get it. No, at the time, <laughs> in the 1920s, when you're doing this crazy Keystone comedy stuff, and if you've ever watched any of those old shorts, the Keystone Cops, or even any of old Chaplin's stuff, y- there was no dialogue. Mm -hmm. So you had to be funny, physically funny. Animated. Yeah, very, very animated. Much more than you would ever have to be later on once you had sound. So, you know, there's all kinds of crazy stunts. Everybody did all their own stunts. They did all their own parts. And so they found it conducive to doing uh, very physical comedy to be, you know, high as a kite. Yeah. And I'm sure that's what got it started, you know. But the other thing was, is people would come out to Hollywood. They'd come from small towns across the country or wherever, and they'd end up in Hollywood where all of this stuff is suddenly at your fingertips. Mm. You know, it's like prohibition didn't exist, you know, in Hollywood. There's booze everywhere because the studios controlled everything. There's drugs, any kind of drugs you could possibly want. Because they're artists. I mean, they are not... The, they are a new breed of artist mm. in this country. And artists always have a, you know, a different lifestyle than a lot of people do. And I mean, like I said, I'm not excusing it. I'm not even endorsing it. Explaining I'm just saying it. that, you know, that's, that's what got a lot of this started. But um, Taylor didn't, you know, was really put off by her drug use. Mm-hmm. And there are... There have been a lot of stories about, you know, he did try to get... You know, he did arrange to have some guys arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, he was turning state's evidence. He physically confronted a couple of her dealers. So, I mean, you know, there are a lot of suspects mm-hmm. in this murder and it didn't necessarily have to be one of these women who were, you know, in his circle because yeah. there were a lot. I mean, he was a, you know, he was, you know, a good looking guy and is, you know, middle-aged guy and, you know, women liked him, people liked him I and mean, he was a he seemed like a decent guy, and yeah. he was trying to do the right thing by Mabel. And I don't think, honestly, if I had to guess, I wouldn't say neither Mabel nor Mary had anything to do with his death.
2: You think it was the drug
0: people uh, that, that he be, pissed be? If off? I had to guess, it would be someone that he'd angered. Yeah, uh, because he did he did go to um, you know the drug enforcement people to get some of these dealers, and, mm-hmm. and you know they 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 they, they would have lost a lot of money. Yeah. He was trying to keep them off the studio lot. Hit the wall. It wasn't just keep him away from Mabel, it was keep them off the lot. Uh-huh. Well, Jesus, that's a lot of money. It's your man. clientele. It is your client. I mean, that was their customer base. So, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, he he just kind of felt like if, you know, if the public finds out, you know, we've got a lot, we got other things going on here that people don't, you know, we got enough bad press and people find out that somebody like Mabel, who's again, one of those America's Sweethearts kind of girls, you know, that people, she was beloved and everybody finds out she's got a huge Coke habit. It's not, you know, this is in the 1970s at this point, it's yeah. the 1920s, a little different. Yeah. Sure Yeah Have you seen
2: Have you seen that meme That talks about um, How like co- the Rehab for cocaine Should just be You completely sober <laughs> In a room with two people Who are high on cocaine For
0: Exactly That would do it yeah, yeah I think so too Gosh That would do it
2: um, Moving on to Okay More women You're talking about males Mary Miles Minter yes. Sorry Jeez yes. The alliteration there um, A young actress Who's in love with Taylor Also looks at him As like a father figure And we've seen Those kind of yeah, weird but, relationships I mean, She was madly where, in
0: love with him um, you know, he had directed her in *Anna Green Gables* and, mm-hmm. and a couple of other things, and it was it was one of those situations. You know how will you watch a movie and you know the, everybody's supposed to be in high school, and you're like, okay, it's like nine hundred two one zero. the dude's like thirty, he's losing his hair. Just I mean, my he's not in high school, you know. So down and from so, that so shit. it's not, yeah, it's like, you know, and that's what it was with her. She's playing these very young parts. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of actresses did though. I mean, at that time. Um, again, you're talking about silent films, so Mm. they don't have to talk. They just have to look young, you know, and, and look cute, Claire bow. I mean, there's, there were lots of them who were, you know, in that category, but Mary Miles Minter was never a superstar, but she was well liked and well known Mm -hmm. and played these young girl characters. And again, so it's going to look bad. If, if for some reason, and I don't think he did have, I don't think he had any involvement with her at all, mm. but she was madly in love with him. And her mother was a whack job. I yeah. mean, yeah, you, if you ever get a chance to dig really deep into this story and really find out more about Charlotte Selby, and if, if there, if there was someone he knew involved in the murder, I would put it on her. Mm. It would, it's either her or the drug dealers, in my opinion. Okay. Um, I think that she was worried about her meal ticket you know, yeah, um, we remember that. when we talked about Jean Harlow, yep. was the same kind of deal. Yep. She was more worried about her meal ticket than anything. And, you know, if, if rumors started that, you know, her 19-year-old daughter was sleeping with, you know... William Desmond Taylor, it's going to look bad. It's going to ruin Mary's career. As it turned out, ruins her career anyway. Yeah. Just because she gets tarred with the same brush from all this stuff after the murder. But
2: do you think, um, I'm curious, So in this story and then the next episode we're going to talk about, there's a big deal with, and and previous stories we talked about, um, studios wanting to, you know, cover up any scandals that makes them look bad and all that. Do you think, does that end up being more detrimental to them not in, always. in the long run? Not, not, not s- always. Not not so much? I mean,
0: uh, well, here's a perfect example that I always like to use. Rock Hudson was like the stud of the movies for decades. And
2: he's the one that I... Th- I mistakenly said Clark Gable and I meant Rock Rock Hudson.
0: And so, but no one knew he was gay all along. Yeah. Uh, Of course he was. It didn't like he suddenly became gay in the 80s. I mean, he had been all along, but nobody talked about it. Mm. The studios covered it up for years and years, and the people who did know about it liked him because he was a good dude. Mm. And they liked him so much, they never talked about it. Same way with um, uh, the guy that played uh, Mr. Brady. Um, I can't think of his name off the top of oh, my head, but... is it Mike something? No, it was that- Mike Brady was no. the name, oh, but, but, same thi- but but the same thing, though. I mean, you know, everybody just oh, kept yeah. it quiet. I did know
2: that. Yeah, okay. and
0: so, but, you know, and then because it wasn't accepted, finally it becomes accepted, we start talking about it. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, there were people who probably till the day he died would have swore that Liberace was straight. <laughs> I mean, because no one ever talked about it. Yeah. Because you couldn't talk about it. And Hollywood, I mean, they send him out with women and things. And you know, or right. set up arranged marriages and things to try to make sure that they're and it, they didn't care about the actors, as we've discovered yeah. in all of these stories. Yeah, the studios it. didn't give a shit about the actors. All they cared about was their bottom line. And so if, you know, if there was something at, at Taylor's house that looked bad after he was murdered, they wanted it gone. They yeah. didn't care about his reputation. It was how it was going to affect the studio. Sure. Because, um, you know, if, if there was some kind of backlash against his films that were found out Later on, mm-hmm. look what would happen. I mean, look look what happens now. It's not that much different. I mean, now you know somebody does something twenty years after they made a great film, mm-hmm. and then suddenly now you know you look back at their old movies. How many times have you heard somebody say, "Yeah, it's kind of problematic now." Yeah. Well, but it wasn't twenty years ago, and it was a great film. But yes, I get what you're saying. Right. And, right. and yes, this this is a problem person. Sure. So that's what. But. Animal House. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but so I guess the point is here is that the, the studios could not afford scandals to get out. OK, fair enough. You know, that's why. Well, the next episode we're going to in our next episode, um, which we've uh, spoiler, we've already recorded, except for our this part of it. Um it's like the you know the original canceled uh-huh. culture guy yeah so but anyway so let's let's continue on with this let's I just, let me get to any other questions you have sure
2: here, so. yeah i just i just love that someone in their car is screaming right now because i'm like christopher knight no that's not it no, no, someone's not screaming it. this guy's robert name. robert reed
0: there you go Sure. Is, that, is it robert no yeah it's it's, it's gotta be robert Right? I don't know. It's if only we had a way to look it up. I know, I know and I'm it's kidding. so
2: funny because I was trying I mean, not I don't, to do that. Yeah,
0: I know. I me too. I, it is. It, I think it is Reed. Right? If it's
2: not, I'm just going to cut this out so nobody knows that we were okay. so dumb. Okay. Um So uh, yeah, well, you know, what? yeah, look it up. Let's see what yeah, happens. I'm
0: going to look it up, but so
2: there was there was Christopher Knight. Yeah. As um as Peter, I only know that because he bunch because he was Robert on.
0: Reed. There you go. Okay, it was Robert. Yeah. Reed, so uh perfect okay but he was uh, he was america's dad yeah everybody right. loved him right. so he and and you know he's he's married married to carol brady he right. can't be gay you know, I mean, that's not, you know, Florence, Florence Henderson. Henderson. Henderson? Yeah, yeah, you can't be, yeah. He couldn't be gay. Oh,
2: hell. He couldn't even sleep in the same bed as her. I mean, well, like, yeah, you know, no, I
0: mean, oh, no, no, They did. They had they, a double they bed. Eventually they eventually did. No, they had a double bed. They
2: pushed them together.
0: No, <laughs> no, it was a real, real bed. So that well, wait, was a little but, later. That was oh, Lucy's, what you're thinking of with the twin sure? beds. Are you yeah. sure the Brady oh, no, Bunch I'm, never slept in the, the I'm pretty sure they had. Um, I could be wrong.
2: I don't know. Someone again, someone screaming in their car. They're like,
0: uh, anyway, I haven't watched that show in so long. I, I. I have no idea. So Yeah, it was my babysitter sometimes, Nick at Night. Back well, in yeah, the day. no, I know. I mean, how do you think I got... And we've had this discussion, but how do you think I got so fascinated with Bob Crane? Because Hogan's Heroes was oh, my yeah. babysitter every day. So, you know... Oh, um, no, boy. So, yeah, it's... Um, I I totally get it
2: Gosh And then somebody else Is yelling Will you just get back To the episode I know I know So the night of the murder uh, Oh Bob Crane Okay uh, Wednesday February 1st 1922 Taylor spends the evening uh, Doing his taxes Going over some stuff And so here's what we know He gets a call Nobody knows Who it's from He talks on the phone For a little bit Mabel Norman stops by They have some drinks Uh, Peavy leaves At about 7.30 Mabel says she leaves Around 8 At midnight Actress and neighbor Edna perverence pervience how do i
0: oh i don't know i'm looking at something about the brady bunch i'm sorry um here let me edna oh the neighbor yeah uh purveyance purveyance no, all right sorry about that no you're good she notices all the <laughs> lights
2: are on at taylor's but she's like nah i probably shouldn't you
0: know talk, talk to him it's too late uh Peabody returns back to work at seven sorry seven a.m they slept in the same bed Son of a you've probably heard this before carol and mike brady and the brady bunch of the first couple on television to share a bed it's a common piece of trivia It's completely wrong the brady's weren't the first couple to sleep together they're not even in the first five Married couples sleeping in separate beds were a common sight on television in the fifties. I Love Lucy, Father Knows Best, uh-huh. Dick Van Dyke, and many other shows featured married couples that were never in the same bed. Those beds always had the same setup: twin beds separated by a nightstand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reason for this is the Hayes Code, uh, as we so will we'll talk about talk it next about, episode. Well, and, and we this have, one too. We have talked about it, uh, but yeah. So the first show that where people slept in the same bed. Uh, The Brady Bunch started in 1969. They shared a bed, uh, but they were not the first ones. But they Um, did from
2: the beginning? So I'm I'm just misremembering. Yeah, the first couple
0: to share a bed on television was 20 years earlier on Mary Kay and Johnny in 1947, Uh, but they were married in real life. Ozzy and Harrod also shared a bed. They were also married in real life. The first non married couple to share a bed is disputed, but technically it should go to Fred and Ethel on I Love Lucy. For the second season, Lucy and Ricky's lovable landlords share a bed in the episode First Stop when they take a road trip. Wow. Yeah. Didn't we do some episode where somebody oh, was connected to Fred? Oh, and you know who else Fred? did? Fred and Wilma Flintstone. <laughs> wow. Well, we talked about Fred himself. Because he was related you to know, it No, he was but... murdered and his ghost haunts the area oh, of the fuck. theater. Yeah. Oh, um, that's probably because he slept um, in the Darren and bed. Samantha on Bewitched were their first couple. Oh, some, oh, most say it's Darren and Samantha, but Green Acres, the Munsters also predate oh, yeah. the Brady Bunch. You see, um, Rob Zombie's redoing the monsters. I know it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited yeah, for that. It's going to be awesome. Okay, I'm sorry. I am off the no, side this trip. Is I, I I don't even know how we got onto that. But I love it. Oh, Robert Reed, and then right, okay. yes, God, poor, poor Bob Reed. And <laughs> okay, anyway, all right, let's let's move on.
2: Oh boy. Okay, so I just went through the whole night of the murder. We're yeah, back. Sorry, no, oh.
0: I, I didn't hear a word of it. It's fine. I, you but know, I, I already read it. You wrote so, it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, basically, PV Pee- <laughs> returns back to work at 7 a.m. finds a body. Um, neighbors and people quickly contaminate the crime scene as <laughs> yeah. we've seen
0: everybody rushes in to look nobody they calls the police call everybody as but usual the yeah. Yeah.
2: paramount employees arrive like you said to remove anything that could damage the filmmakers <laughs> reputation um, notes bootleg liquor whatever yeah. else they
0: find um, yeah, we'll never know yeah, everything they ever found. I mean, we know about a couple of things. Somebody must have talked, but right. I'm sure there was other stuff. There had to. Have I mean, been. I like the fact that there was a note from Mary that was stuck into as a bookmark in a book of erotic poetry. Yeah. And I'm thinking, Jesus, what else was in this house? You yeah. know, but yeah, if well, that's one we know about, so
2: the Paramount uh, <laughs> GM Charles Eaton, is that right? Um, yeah, arrives. Cops let him do pretty much whatever he wants. No <laughs> yeah. question. Works for the studio. Yeah, uh, just you know, in and out. Um no, not until the deputy coroner arrives Do they realize, oh shit, this guy's been shot In, <laughs> yeah. the, in the back
0: Yeah, uh, Which changes everything, because they just thought he'd Drop dead right. so, Yeah, because of the way
2: he landed in the right. chair He was laying on his and back,
0: stuff. and it looked like he'd just fallen Which he had, because someone shot him But Yeah,
2: can somebody tell me, if you get shot with a 38, Is there just not a lot of blood? Is it not a big Well, it pull? must not have
0: penetrated It must not have been all the way through The bullet must have still been inside the right, body Right, but even so, from the back, though? Well, you you think... would think, I mean, I would think so But maybe the way he landed Maybe the did.
2: pressure or something. You know, or... it killed
0: him instant. If it killed him instantly, mm-hmm. he wouldn't keep bleeding, right? Well, sure. Because yeah. his heart would stop pumping. And I don't know exactly where he was hit. You yeah. Just know it was in the back. So oh. it could have it could have severed, you know, okay, a, a blood vessel or whatever, and it killed him instantly. But when he fell and was lying on his back, my guess is the pressure mm-hmm. from that kept it from bleeding too much, and it soaked maybe into the rug, right? But, yeah. But didn't pool. Okay, that's fair. Because it, it didn't go all the way through. If it right, had right. gone all the way through, there had been blood everywhere. Right, right, you know, right. So. All right, no, that, that, that's fair. I mean, the last time I shot somebody in the back...
2: I was going to say... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it was Jesse James. <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
0: <laughs> so, Sands is a suspect, Peavy's a suspect, there's rumors of homosexuality, all the yeah, stuff Yeah, and then, you going. know, and that's, and that still, you know, hangs in there, and there's two things to blame for that. One One, which we talked about before, that Hollywood Babylon book. Oh, yeah. Kenneth Anger's book um, is just full of just crap. I thought you were going to pass out how hard you just rolled your eyes. I mean, it's just really badly skewed information. But the other thing is, is that he was trying to help this guy out. He, Mm -hmm. you know, his his African-American gay butler who had gotten in trouble because back then, of course, it was illegal to be gay. And he mm-hmm. must have gotten in trouble somewhere. Maybe he'd been someplace. And, and so Taylor was going to go to court and testify on his behalf to say, hey, listen, this is an upstanding guy. Yeah. You know, this was a, you know, this was a, a, an anomaly. You know, he's a good dude, you know. And so just because he was trying to help this guy out, oh, well, in a, in a town where, as we've already we literally just discussed yeah actors that were gay that were hidden away for decades mm-hmm. and decades you know um but for some reason the, the you know people painted this as being well maybe that's why he was killed oh i was killed because he was gay oh, come on man yeah you know so i don't think that had anything to do with anything
2: sure so. okay so uh, no so that's all that's all good to know then um a reporter named
0: Florabel. Florabel Muir,
2: yeah. <laughs> I love that name. It yeah. sounds like a, uh, um, oh gosh, like Parks and Rec. Uh, who's the guy that comes up with all those? It sounds like a name he would come up from <laughs> one of the characters or something. Um, remained convinced that Peavy was a killer and tried to trick a confession out of oh, him. Yeah, it was really fucking dumb. I'm, yeah You heard it It was dumb. Yeah, it was dumb. so dumb um, A man seen Leaving Taylor's house But it was said He was just returning his car And we got no answer At the door No one's really helpful No one's cooperative Yeah
0: Because uh, nobody saw anything Yeah There's not and, a lot to go on And they don't want to You know His friends And his neighbors Yeah Don't want to say anything bad so you know, I mean, this this investigation was never it was never going to go anywhere. Never going to go there were anywhere. No real witnesses, and anybody who was a witness to anything wouldn't talk.
2: Right, you know, Mike. Sure, that's his name. Anyway, if oh, you guys, yeah, guys love yeah. The Office, Parks and Rec, yeah. The Good Place, he <laughs> did all of those. Um, anyway, so theories arrive um, arise that Taylor and Mary are in a relationship, like we talked about. She seems pretty open about it. like I had a huge crush yeah, on him, but yeah, it just exactly. wasn't but happening. That's all it
0: was, but yeah. And then the, you know the reporters put in this thing. Oh, they found all her lingerie. Yeah, it was a, a handkerchief. handkerchief. <laughs> yeah, and all that kind of stuff. It just you know, but, it's just. But then she, but she did. On she really, she pursued him really hard. Yeah, and you know he was constantly going. You know, nah, uh, yeah, no, no, come cup. on now. Hey, you good, know. good on him. Yeah, you're way too young for me. Yeah, you know, kind of thing. good
2: for him. But she full on kisses his corpse yeah, at the funeral, makes bad. a big damn scene. Yeah, and that's, and that kind people of never forgot nailing it. Nailing her yeah, coffin. Never forgot it. Uh, Chicago
0: tri- We'll we'll talk about in an upcoming episode we're yeah? gonna talk about another actress that did the same thing oh at a funeral. Oh at a very boy. well attended funeral and it killed her career. Okay. Too. All right. Not with Taylor, but with a different sure. different character coming up soon. Uh
2: Chicago Tribune said it said it's believed that movie <laughs> interest was <laughs> a great quote a man. million not to catch the murderer <laughs> to prevent yeah. the real truth from coming yeah. out. In years of past speculation included the idea Taylor's murdered by a hired killer who was working for one of the drug dealers servicing Mabel Norman like we talked about. Yeah, I think that's
0: most likely. Yeah, I mean, the most likely suspect there. It's got to be so. somebody anybody whose wallet's going to get light. Oh yeah. Well, and especially the kind of money they were making. Yeah. You know, selling coke and stuff to the Hollywood crowd at the time. I mean, you also have to remember though that it wasn't it wasn't seen in the same way that it is today. Well, was it still it in was, medicine and no, stuff. Then, no, no, it wasn't by the 20s. Uh-huh. Uh in the early early 1900s, you could buy it in the drugstore, but by the 20s, it wasn't widely available, and, and it was kind of like, um, it was kind of a situation where we have marijuana distributed, or, uh, you know, di- dispensaries in Illinois, so yeah. you can go buy it legally, but you can't go buy it off the guy on the street. Sure. Where it would be cheaper. So, much so you cheaper. could go to the grocery you can go it. to the drugstore and buy it over the counter and get a small amount, but then you can buy an eight ball from the guy down the street. Right. So, you know, it's a little different. And that was kind of what was going on here, you know. Did, do you know Did they
2: Were they cutting it With arm and hammer Back then Yeah too, I don't know or? Probably Yeah <laughs> Did I tell a you A baby
0: I, laxative
2: I and... found a bag of weed Outside my apartment Like a month <laughs> oh, ago No This is the third time In my life I've just found A bag of marijuana On the ground It seems scary Sketchy it and risky d- It does yeah. And I haven't touched it yet good. But That's good I'm, Just in case I've been debating But um, this, this happens to me I just randomly find huh. drugs Interesting Yeah So <laughs> weird stories. So DA Woolwine who um, probably know more About the case Than anyone else uh, Resigned due to poor health Dies soon after that case uh, Aza Keys, Woolworth's we've talked successor. about before. When did we talk about her? Uh, there,
0: it's a he, and we've it, talked about he? him. Yeah, we talked about him a couple of times. Um, eh, I don't different remember. cases that popped up.
2: All right. Uh, well, vital evidence mysteriously vanishes. 1929. F.W. Richardson stated that he had positive info, but that he was unable to do anything due to the LAPD yeah. corruption. Oh, you
0: know when we talked about him, it was the uh, Marion Parker stuff.
2: Oh, I want to come home tonight. And
0: Richardson too was the governor at the time. Okay.
2: I do remember Richardson. Um, And then 43, a man arrested on federal narcotics charges in Indiana claimed that he'd trade the killer's name for immunity. That did not. He might've known. Why do you think that?
0: Well, because here's a guy on federal narcotic charges. So he probably had oh, more information. Oh. So, I mean, going by the theory that okay. I think that it, it was some of the drug guys that probably are the ones who killed him. Yeah, this guy might have had real information, but nobody was going to give him immunity for it. So, uh huh. Oh, okay. You know. So I just thought it was a guy. Trying and by to cover 1943,
1: that. who cares? Uh, cares. Yeah. It's 20 years. <laughs> That's I mean, fair. you know,
0: is it really worth it? I That's guess. fair. I don't know. So. Oh. Okay. Well.
2: Let's see. I have a couple Patreon shout-outs I wanted to give. But first I wanted to say um, at this point, I have sent out the emails about your Patreon shirts because I do it on the f- I do it on the 15th right, every right, month. Great. Please get back to me. Um, and, also, not, and, yes. and I want to um, I want to I'm gonna make some new stuff. I'm probably gonna get some like outside oh, cool. designer people to do some yeah, things. So cool. I've done it for like pizza t-shirts and stuff. Yeah. But if anybody has any ideas of what you want to see sure. with shirts, yeah. like hey, I like cool. this thing, this brand, this artist, whatever, let me know. Um, but quick shout-outs to Pamela, Emily, Avi, Avi, I'm sorry, I don't know. And then Trident, um, which is just a dope name, or a gum, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but thank you so much for supporting the show. Again, that's what makes it sound better, as the yeah, the listener review that we had earlier um, noted. And it is now time for our Ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, you can email us at American Hauntings at gmail.com. I uh, just have one today. This one's from John, it's titled St. Louis Exorcism Priest. Diary it says, hey guys, just want to say I absolutely love your podcast. I've listened to every single episode in order on Spotify. This is all great information to know. Uh, I just think this is one of the best and most informative and fascinating podcasts like ever, let alone regarding true crime and the supernatural. Fantastic job. My favorite season was your exorcist season, and my goodness, was it ever chilling. Can either of you tell me if there's any way, shape, or form to possibly obtain some legitimate copy of the priest's Diary or little black book, as it was called, and I'm sure Troy has thoughts on this, um, in your authoritative and expert opinion opinion and experience do any such copies of the book or legitimate representations thereof such as authentic eps Excerpts exist anywhere either online Or real life please let me know and also Should no such representation exist What would be your expert recommendation on Where and what to read or watch that Contains authentic firsthand slash eyewitness Accounts or recollect- recollections of That case and that's a very well worded wow. uh, Congrats um, on, on your Hard work and success this is absolutely fabulous Podcast I appreciate and respect what You do let me know about the diary thanks Troy do you have thoughts on this <laughs> Well
0: in a couple of weeks the new Edition of the devil came to St. Louis will be out, yeah. which is, uh will be the only book that's come out that has all the information, including first hand witness accounts. Mm-hmm. Um And it also has excerpts from the diary. And yeah, the diaries, I mean, I've got a copy. I mean, it used to be hard to get. Really? It's not hard anymore. Interesting. Yeah. I,
2: I thought it was like left yeah. in that, in the little, in the well, furniture and I mean, locked away. Well, it was,
0: but... Then when they got it out, when they opened up the room, it's everywhere now. No shit. Yeah, you can get it. That's awesome. Yeah, you can get it now. Well, it's, it's out there, John. It's out there, and if yeah. you want, and if you it, can't, I mean, if for some reason you can't find it, yeah, um, email me. Oh sure. And I can direct you to a copy. Yeah,
2: and so, John, I say if you want more and then commentary hold on, on it, just to the book. Just get Weeks so. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks for writing in, and uh, yeah, American at gmail.com. Yeah, sounds good. Over are you, man?
0: All right, well, guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, I uh, and been really enjoying the Hollywood season as it winds to a close. Cody's thinking, oh, "Thank God, I've never seen any of these movies and don't know who these people are." <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm kidding. I, um, but you know, it's been a fun season, and as we get nearer to the end, uh, we still have some we still have some good stuff coming. So don't. Uh, don't wander off quite yet. And um, thanks again for everything. We hope to see you guys. Uh, something coming up this fall. We got tons of stuff coming up, and I'm actually doing, I think, probably more this year personally than I've done in quite a while. So um, it's going to be a fun year. Did you get stir crazy? Got to get out of the house little some more yeah, events, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I just, um, you know, we planned a lot more dinners, and we've got some cool stuff coming up, and and maybe by our next episode, I'll be able to announce. Uh, what something new that we have coming up so I will talk about that hopefully hopefully by our next episode
2: awesome Um, I don't have any clever thing so this episode of the American (laughs) (laughs) Hottings podcast was written by Troy Taylor and the Brady Bunch was produced and edited by me yeah I should (laughs) have If you're Ugh, not my. a regular listener of the podcast, we hope you'll check it out at a bi dose of history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Also, yeah, let me know where you guys listen to shows. If things are uh, changing, yeah, yeah. if right. apps are different right. now, what the yeah. kids are
0: doing, I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know either. I don't so. know. Yeah, we've been talking about some different things, so we I don't have? know. The next season may be uh, different. Uh. It's
2: going to be uh, uh, exclusively on Pandora.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be only available on our our own app. Yes. Um, no, it will not be. So.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. So see the website at AmericanHawningsPodcast.com
0: for more info about the show, notes, I don't understand the, the subscribing to a single app for shows when they're all on iTunes. I don't understand. And if you don't have an iPhone, maybe? Well, yeah, I guess. But like, I mean, I don't, I, I hesitate to name a name of a company that makes a lot of podcasts, but why do I need their app that oh. I need to pay for? Oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? When they're mm-hmm. going to put all the episodes on iTunes event. Well, you know, not always right away, though. So maybe it is a delayed thing. I don't, I don't know. know. Well, anyway, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. No, you're I, don't fine. Know. I was just wondering about you're that, fine. So. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a regular, it seems like a terrible business
2: model to me. If you're a regular <laughs> listener, I always <laughs> hope you take the time to review us in the Apple podcast. app. And I just realized you're not your very. Friends.
0: F- I'll shut up because mm-hmm. this is never going to end. We got to change this thing, man. <laughs>
2: neighbors, relatives, so people you pass on the street. No one listens to The Brady Bunch, whoever. We couldn't and wouldn't do the show without you. If you're a fan that you know that American Hauntings is not. I think this you should just be happy I'm not playing books, Orson Welles tours clips. tours, events, and so. more. And our main website is AmericanHauntings.net. I'm so happy there's no Orson Welles. Yeah, see, For those I who, uh, you who do write to us and tell us you wish we posted shows more often, well, you can have fresh content if you support the show on Patreon. I'm going to have some stuff from the conference up there shortly. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and some shirts if you guys email yeah, me back. A lot of <laughs>
0: That's not the only <laughs> yeah. perk you Now you're interrupting either. yourself. I know. It's so bad. There so. are
2: discount shirts, stuff in the mail, all <laughs> kinds of things. For those who don't understand how important our Patreon is, to us go back and listen to the first season don't tell me what you think about it but just listen wow. to that well, listen you know to this one and about. that's right yeah patreon's what made it all get better so check it out at patreon.com slash american hauntings if you have any comments about the show suggestions reviews jokes reviews of our jokes what you want on a t-shirt what you want on a t-shirt i just want to tell us what you really think of us we're reachable via email on twitter instagram facebook messages in a bottle carrier pigeon and telegram <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, until next time goodbye so long okay bye See enough bye Oh. <laughs> it's so long
0: It is long wonder, And that's it, shorter
2: I know I cut it down I wonder if we're just Now that I take my headphones off Are we just yelling for 45 minutes at each other and then For other people in other rooms Like it seems that's so their- loud la-